This is Pink Media. Hey y'all, and welcome back to another short score, where my good friend and I break down music in our favorite films. I'm Brian. And I'm Anthony. And today, we're going to be talking about the recent Gene pick, When Harry Met Sally, featuring Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. Let's get to it. All right, so uh, about this movie. Brian, have you even seen this movie yet? You know, I'm a little embarrassed. I actually wasn't in the Gene Pick episode for this movie, not because I hadn't seen it, but because I was busy that day. But I have only seen it for the first time today. I watched to record this podcast. I've only seen it the first time. I'm um, I'm embarrassed for you. Uh, because this is a yeah. classic. <laughs> Yes. I, I'm quite embarrassed. I've heard so many people talk about it. My brothers, of course, picked it as one of the Gene picks, and they loved it, uh, mostly because it was a New Year's Eve pick, but honestly, because it's a great movie. Now I can say that confidently, that I do think it's a great movie. I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know why it's never come across uh, my desk, so to say. It's just never been one that I've really watched. I know you like it quite a bit, right? This is tied for first place in rom-com land for me wow so it's it's easily the quintessential rom-com for me and easily um like it's the movie that i watch every new year's eve yeah i mean i i get that it makes sense it's a great charming movie and it's kind of in that canon of like you've got mail sleepless in seattle kind of that like region of movies that all of them, I've seen those other two, of course, so now I can say I've seen the third, but um, I, I just don't watch them very often. And when I do, they're so delightful. So I don't know why I put myself through the torture of just not viewing them. Yeah, you actually mentioned my other favorite uh, uh, rom-com, which is You've Got Mail. I think oh, perfect. That, that movie is absolutely perfect. Absolutely. It's a charming movie, both for the actual movie and also people sending email to each other. I think that is so cute. Um, I, I still die when I see the instant messenger pop up. Like it's, oh, it's amazing. Yes. What a throwback. What a, like, D- did you have your instant messenger, like away message set? Oh yeah, absolutely. On aim or whatever. Aim was like the thing oh, yeah. back then in oh, yeah. AOL. Oh man, we have progressed now to the point where I don't want email to ever be in my life because all this is work now. So <laughs> preach. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, but about this movie in terms of, um, the music, um, I'm going to be really straightforward here. I don't have a huge jazz background. Um, that wasn't really something I have some experience with it, but you have a lot of experience, right? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say a lot, but uh, I did minor in jazz studies back in my undergrad. Oh, and, um, you know, like I played in big bands through all throughout high school and college. And, and so, you know, and frankly, you know, so I'm an oopsie baby, right? So my parents are like 69 and 72 now. <laughs> and so like I grew up on and and we're also very extremely Italian. So I yeah. grew up on Sinatra, Tony Bennett, uh, you know, just Dean Martin, uh, Sammy Davis. I, you know, so this is right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. So you kind of have the the background from the beginning of it. I, I I really only played jazz in a high school jazz band that was pretty bad, to be honest with you. Um, So that's really my only experience with jazz. I guess in college, we had to take in my music education courses or music performance, I should say we should we had to take like, some stuff. But as you know, you know, working in that in that college, it's the jazz and the rest of the music department are very different. They're kind of in their own little world. So 
I didn't really interact with it a lot. I know we had a lot of um, pretty good jazz faculty at the time when I was there and we had some good jazz ensembles and I saw a, a, cu- a couple of them, but I never really got into it. And I'm not sure why, much like this movie. Um, I knew they were good. I knew they were there. I just never kind of went and put myself out there. So I, I was excited to kind of look into this movie a, l- a little bit more and learn about the jazz because the jazz music in this movie is is great. It's really good. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And f- for those people that don't know, you know, like it's big universities like U of I, um, it, it's it's not that it like it's segmented. It's just that it's usually just so large that there's kind of like yeah. their own little ecosystems. Absolutely. Um, you know, and actually at our university, we're we're separated into five buildings. Um, yeah. And so like, you know, I might go months without seeing some other faculty. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, pre- pretty understandable. So yeah. But yeah, this is this is right in the wheelhouse of um, you're real straight ahead. You know, I'd call this like a crooner album, um, mm-hmm. you know, like that jazz crooner. We're talking Sinatra, Tony Bennett, um, you know, like that era of uh, of of jazz going on here. Yeah, so let's kind of get into the music here in this in this movie a little bit. I I I mean, it was great. It's kind of the the jazz that I like again being very inexperienced. It's not that like frenetic jazz. It's kind of this like smooth, really casual. It's not, you know, making you too nervous, which to me that's what jazz is, but I know jazz has a lot of different facets. So I I loved the I loved the music in this in this movie. Yeah, I would I would classify this as pretty traditional um you know this isn't it's not bebop it's not um you know modern jazz it's 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 very true like we're talking you know 1950s 1960s uh big band you know like i said sinatra wheelhouse kind of stuff um, yeah here so and you know this was um this is harry connick jr who was who was the main um, you know, musical, we'll say focal point for this. Um, he was involved in in pretty much all of it. For those of you who don't know, um, you know, Harry Connick is essentially the modern day Frank Sinatra. I, you know, I would yeah. classify, classify him and probably Michael Bublé. Um, oh, yeah. Are like the two. Um, and Harry Connick specifically, he's a singer, he's a pianist, he's a composer. Um, and he's also, you know, an actor, TV host. He has his own talk show. Oh, yeah. And he was on Will and Grace, which is my favorite thing of his. <laughs> yeah. So I remembered the, the the day that I put that gay Anthony put two and two together, that Harry Connick and Leo were the same person. Was oh, yeah. A mind blowing experience for sure. A huge day. And I mean, let's be honest, I'm sure he's a little more known for his music. But for me, he's Leo from Will and Grace. That's that's all of it. So I, I, I love him for that. But of course... Uh, very talented musician did a great job on this album um and he's a uh, he's kind of comes from uh jazz right uh, well in a sense new orleans is he's where he's from so that's kind of a jazz heavy area yeah he was you know new orleans is considered to be the the birthplace of american jazz uh, Yeah. so i you know i'm i'm sure he was surrounded by it you know i know he started playing piano at age 3 um, he had his first like major performance with the New Orleans Symphony Orchestra at age 10. Like, what were you mm-hmm. doing at age 10, Brian? Oh, my gosh. Good question. Who knows? I didn't even know what music was at age 10, to be quite honest <laughs> with you. So I, I have no idea. Um, but with these, I again, I don't know a lot about jazz performers. Do they typically go up more through the traditional classical realm of music and then get into jazz or are, are a lot of them kind of more into the jazz from the beginning? 
I, you know, it kind of depends on what tradition you come from, I feel like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like a place like New Orleans, oh man, we could go down like a history of jazz tunnel that we probably don't want to go down here. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, like coming from New Orleans, I'm sure there he was just constantly surrounded by it. Um, yeah. And, you know, but uh, there's a lot of other uh, a lot of other people who come up, uh, you know, in the classical tradition, which, you know, he started in that um, mm-hmm. for sure. And then they just um, they kind of expand into um, the jazz idiom. Absolutely. And I know um, Harry kind of was a shoe in for this kind of this album. He was recommended, right? I mean, I I, I don't know about a shoe in, but he was definitely recommended. Yeah. So sure. um, he was, you know, so actually the one of the, the members of Blood, Sweat and Tears is a good friend mm-hmm. of Rob Reiner, who directed this picture. Um, and recommended Harry Connick uh, for this. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's uh, how Harry ended up landing the gig. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, Reiner uh, listened to some of his stuff and immediately was like, this is a young Frank Sinatra. Like, we need to get this person. Yeah, he definitely kind of has that that feel about him. And I mean, this, like I said, this score was uh, no, no slouch in that. He sounded great. Uh, he sounded like, a Sinatra kind of traditional jazz and, and it was great. And I think the album being number one on billboard is probably going to give you that indication, right? That it was a pretty good album at the time. Still now I actually just listened uh, as I was working today, listened to the album, just kind of had it playing and it's just, it's uh, so smooth, so easy to listen to. Um, and I think it kind of m- matches the charming atmosphere of the movie really well. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And, and um, you know, like you said, number one on Billboard magazine jazz charts. Um, this was actually Harry Connick's first Grammy Award for best jazz male vocal performance. Um, oh, wow. And and so that, that's a big deal. Because remember, this is very young in his career. Um, yeah, he's, absolutely. You know, he's not that old at this point. So and then, you know, the fact that this album uh, went double platinum, that, you know, it's over two million records back when uh back when hopping on itunes or spotify wasn't a thing you know like when you had to buy physical um cassette tapes or cds oh that's so that's so charming having to go buy an actual (laughs) that's very much before my time but i i do i do appreciate that people used to actually go out and purchase albums and i think that is that's just so great I'm sitting so, here in my um, office looking at my old CDs and I just, I don't even know what to do. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, I don't have it. a place to you play them. them. And it, you can't, you can't even play them anywhere. They're like, they're well, like can you, set pieces now. Can't you like import them into something or I don't know what people yeah, did I before. I, mean, I have, I have Spotify, so I just listen to them on there. So. Oh, that's true. Okay. Well, yeah. at least you're doing something with them. Yeah, well, right. So the movie itself, um, Something that you told me that I had literally no idea is Billy Crystal and kind of his history with jazz. Yeah, he is not many people know that he grew up around jazz. Um, Billy Crystal's dad, Jack Crystal, um, owned Commodore Music Store on Long Island. And he was also a jazz producer, uh, promoter and an executive for Commodore Records. Oh, wow. Yes, um, you know, and, and Commodore Records is is famous for producing Billie Holiday's "Strange Fruit." Um, that's the title of the song, um, which was is, is largely considered one to, to be one of the oldest um, protest songs out there. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's oldest, but um, you know, a, a very prominent protest song, "Strange Fruit," being obviously 
uh, black Americans or slaves hanging from trees. Right. So um, that was, and it's, it's very um, disjunct in my mind to, to pair that topic with um, it being a huge hit, you know, like it's a huge hit. Um, um, Yeah. And I think Billie Holiday had a lot of record labels didn't want to produce that for Billy Holiday just because of the reason that it was kind of incendiary and this and I think Commodore Records took a big gamble in doing that and of course stood up for what was right but it actually came back to really benefit them because it was quite popular yeah absolutely and still something that is you know I took a jazz history class in that I mean we talked I want to say like an entire class period was just on that tune in the implications So, so like it's it's definitely a big deal so mm-hmm. um, in addition to that, they had a couple of other pretty prominent jazz artists on the record label. Fats Waller um, was a pretty famous jazz pianist who um, kind of laid the foundation for modern jazz piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Art Tatum, who's considered to be the greatest uh, or one of the greatest jazz pianists. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, tenor saxophonist uh, Lester Young, who was in the Basie Band. Uh, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Band, Basie a classic. City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So lots of lots of big names. Um, it was clearly a, a pretty prominent label. So and, and you know, Billy Crystal grew up around that. He he grew up hanging around in the record store and, and getting to, you know, like see and interact with some of these people. Yeah, I was watching an interview with Billy Crystal about his dad and him essentially saying if he wanted to spend time with his dad on the weekend, he had to go into New York City and kind of hang out at these jam sessions. So if he wanted to, you know, have any quality time with his dad, it had to be around jazz. And um, that, that's cool to an extent. Of, of course, it's a little sad that he had to do that. But I mean, that's just the life of a musician when it comes down to it. And that he just uh, was exposed whether he wanted to be or not. And in the interview, he was kind of talking about how at that time he was uh, resent resentful of, of jazz. But now he kind of looks back and has an appreciation for it because of kind of him just constantly being inundated with it. Yeah, interesting it's just super interesting how it goes from, you know, uh, you know, like he associates it with such bad things, but he grew up around this great art. I know as a child, it's hard to recognize that, right? You know, you're not going to know it until it's gone. So, um, it's not gone of course, but maybe his memories of that aren't, are a little changed now than they used to be. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, like we've said time and time again, this movie is, it has amazing jazz standards. You know, there there's uh, good jazz going through the whole thing. They scored it really well. It wasn't um, overbearing. The music wasn't overbearing. It was always kind of playing second fiddle, so to say. Um, and uh, it, it, it was just great standards from, uh, you know, kind of all over the place. Yeah, there, uh, you know, it has uh, amongst Harry Connick, who was very young in his career, there's also performances by many of the legends, um, mm-hmm. you know, so we hear Louis Armstrong uh, with that yeah. great, you know, famous for um, What a Wonderful World, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in this, we hear his um, his version, his take on Love is Here to Stay and Let's Call the Whole Thing Off, um, the yeah. great um, uh, George and Ira Gershwin tune. Oh, yeah. Um, we hear Ella Fitzgerald singing oh, Where yeah. or When. Like, what a voice. Absolutely. Yeah, she's, they really, she's incredible. Yeah. And I mean, the Louis Armstrong pieces, Love is Here to Stay, and Let's Call the Whole Thing Off, the titles alone make sense in the movie. If you hadn't really <laughs> listened to the song, it makes sense in the movie because if you watch the movie, you know kind of how it goes. So um, obviously good scoring there. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the things I was going to mention here was that 
Um, you know, in our last in our last episode, we talked about like a light motive, right? Like something mm-hmm. that occurs, a, a piece of music that occurs anytime, like a certain feeling or character is uh, is prominent. Um, and I, you know, I don't know that it's it's uh, a light motive per se, but um, the tune "But Not for Me" by George and Ira Gershwin, um, I noticed, tends to come up whenever they're um, Harry or Sally are sad. Um, or they're thinking about their exes. Um, and, you know, for those of you who are not familiar, this tune's again by um, the Gershwin brothers. Um, right. And a couple, you know, just a little bit of the lyrics. Um, they're writing songs of love, but not for me. A lucky stars above, but not for me. So here yeah. they are down and out in the dumps. And then in the background is the music without words that's kind of reiterating exactly what they're feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean... Again, I think we're going to find that anytime we do one of these short scores. There's just kind of this genius behind that no one really looks at until you really look into it. Yeah. And that's kind of the that's the genius of scoring or, you know, making any music for a movie. So I, I just love that stuff so much. It's something that even me, quote unquote, being into music didn't realize was so extensive until I've started really kind of listening and watching movies a bit more intently for that reason. Yeah, no, I totally, totally makes sense. And, uh, you know, same thing. I've, uh, I have a bit more training than you do, but at the same yeah. time, you know, w- when I watch a movie, I watch a movie because I want to be in immersed into the experience and I'm not necessarily listening critically all around. It's not until I go back, you know, with my notepad and sit down and, and really listen critically that I pick up on some of these things. So absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of other um, little notable performances. So can't go wrong with Ray Charles, Winter Wonderland. Oh, yeah. Come on. I I live for Ray Charles. Uh, Same. I, you know, I hope the, uh, I hope one day that there is a Gene Pick Blues Brothers uh, episode because oh, I would on. love to talk about all of that. So, well, you heard it here first, and Anthony's suggestion for Gene Picks. I'll, uh, I'll take it to the group, and I'm sure we'll decide because that. <laughs> that's of course a Gene Pick. Come on, you it, can't it not totally love is. that movie. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. That's a classic right there. So, oh yeah. Um, and then, you know, we get lots of Harry Connick in various forms. So obviously we get him singing um, the opening with his singing. Um, uh, it had to be you, right? This. Is, oh, yeah. Oh, man. I live for this arrangement. Uh, of that course. He co-wrote. And it's it's just incredible. And it's it's like Sinatra at his height. You know, oh, yeah. it is cinematic and theatrical and uh, just uh, it's it's just so good. I have no. Other it's very well done. It. Absolutely. Um, but we also hear um, um, whenever you hear solo piano anytime throughout, mm-hmm. that's Harry Connick, um, you know, playing or improvising. Um, and then you also get um, you'll often hear his trio um, as well. Um, it's a Harry Connick trio throughout. So lots of lots of variety. Yeah. And I think there's something to him kind of scoring most, you know, his music, even if it's just piano himself, because a lot of uh, artists today are are quite famous and quite popular, but all they'll do is sing or they won't even write their own music. So and I, I, I am afraid that that's becoming a bit of a lost art to kind of have the full the full book of skills, right, to write your music, to compose your own music. Um, I hope that's not the case at all. But I, I really do have a lot of appreciation for artists who can kind of take it from beginning to end in terms of an idea and then they're going to score the whole thing out and, you know, and they're going to sing it too. So I like that quite a bit about Harry Connick. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, um, Buble is one of my other all time favorites. I, I just absolutely love him and his music, but 
you know, if you look at the the credits on the CD albums back when we actually had to open the booklet and look at, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, he's he's definitely not writing the tunes that he's not doing no. those arrangements. Um, and so it's it really is a credit to Harry Connick that he's able to um, not only write the music, but orchestrate the music and execute the music. Um, it's it's pretty, pretty incredible. Absolutely. Well, let's do final thoughts on this uh, on this score, this album, this movie. Um, I'll I'll kick us off here. Like I've said from the beginning, great scoring, easy to listen to jazz, and it's kind of I love the idea of jazz in a movie. Um, everyone always thinks it's going to be this cinematic and this you know this whole thing, but I I love the idea, especially for this a rom com having this nice kind of light jazz that obviously has been scored well. They've selected pieces that work well with the movie um, in terms of the content. So, um, you know, it's it's a it's a winner for me. Uh, I'm actually I actually saved the the Spotify playlist today. So I'm going to be listening to this one again for sure. Yeah, it's a win for me as well. I, I just I love uh, the timbre of, of Harry Connick's voice. And um, I think the the orchestrations and arrangements are superbly done And you know, the other thing is, I think that we're not bombarded with with music in this. Uh, there's huge yep. swaths, whether you know, there's silence um, and there's just dialogue, um, and so I think that really helps to, the music to stand out when it needs to. So, total win for me in one of my all time favorite rom coms ever. Absolutely. Well, hey, that's short score when Harry met Sally. Uh, make sure you check out uh, the Gene Picks episode on this movie, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. For myself and Anthony, join us next time. See y'all. This is Pink Media. Pink Media.